everybody. While these guys are getting these things ready and you're getting settled and we get ready to get into our Bible study this evening, let me just throw out another quick announcement for you. You know, among the events that we sponsor and host together with the Living Faith Fellowship is the annual Bible study conference is at our church, First Baptist Church in New Philadelphia, Ohio. We call it the Certainty Conference. And that's always the first week of October of every year. So we're planning that again in early October of 2018. And, and this year's subject will be about the transmission and preservation of your Bible. And we are going to have Pastor Alan Shelby. We're going to have Pastor Brett Bartlett. And we're going to have Pastor Mark Trotter share with us in that conference. And I'm telling you, you're not going to want to miss it. There'll be live stream available. There'll be things going on that you can catch if you're not able to be with us. But man, we'd love to have you come to Northeast Ohio. Let us love on you a little bit in October and just spend some time digging into the treasures of the Word of God. That would just be a great opportunity and privilege for us to, to be able to host that as well. But this conference is not that conference. This is missions focus. And we're talking about our God being worthy to be praised by all peoples of all nations at all times. We worship him, he stirs our hearts, he moves us, we agree that this is what we should be all about, that we give him all that we have and all that we are, and all I do, I worship you, I follow you, I exalt you. And the theme that we're taking in these evening messages has to do with mobilizing men for the ministry. So my target audience, as I have prayed through the focus that I believe the Lord would have us to communicate, is really for those of you who are still in training. Before we get any further, let me just ask if somebody did not get a handout, because we do have handouts available. If you did not get one, would you just hold your hand up and keep it up until people can get it to you? I know we got a full house and they've done a great job getting those out, but if you need a handout, just keep your hands up and we'll get those to you. So in this idea of God is worthy, people, do, people of all places, of all times, deserve the right to have the opportunity to hear about his love and his grace and his mercy, amen? It really then comes down to us. Are we going to be obedient? Are we really all in? Are we really going to do whatever it takes to actually do what the Lord has asked us to do? There's a lot of illustrations and typology in the Bible and a lot of things where God says that this thing is like that thing. But one of those is not that the church is like the body of Christ. The Bible says the church is Amen. the body of Christ. Jesus Christ, when he had a physical body, was here and he left with his physical body. But this world is not without Jesus Christ's physical body. That's us. And the head desires to command the body to work as the head pleases. That's up to us. So last night we talked about the call of God. And, and we kind of took away the mystery, the mysticism associated with the miraculous and the signs and the wonders and the, and the non-biblical selectivity that only God would, God would only call a few people. We understand God's call, generally speaking, is for every single Christian to participate in the Great Commission, and yet we looked at a very specific calling of God, we called the vocational call of God, to a particular role, Lord, what would you have me to do with my life in a specific way for your glory? I think that probably interests most all of us. What will that role be? Can I tell you that that is not just arbitrarily decided by your pastor? You need to understand how God works in this particular area. So it's interesting because although we might 
understand some false doctrinal teaching that overemphasizes signs and wonders and miracles, there is something in us, we kind of like that. We kind of wish that that did happen more often. And we look for that kind of thing for God to make it very clear what that specific detailed vocation is for all of us. And just like we demystified that general call of God tonight, I kind of want to demystify the specific one. And the way I'm going to do that is talk about is the title of tonight's message is Proven or Passive. The first thing I placed in your notes is this, is that a call to missions is a call to preparation. Let me say that again. A call to missions is a call to preparation. Do not kid yourselves. Our launching pad for these nights is Acts chapter 13, starting in verse number one. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them, And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So without question, as we have seen, the Holy Ghost called Barnabas and Saul, and when the Holy Ghost called Barnabas and Saul, he called them to a specific work. He did not call them to a location. He called them to a specific work. But the thing I want you to notice out of this passage of Scripture that we emphasize tonight is this. Barnabas and Saul, the ones whom the Holy Ghost called, were already proven leaders in their local church in Antioch. Notice what the Holy Ghost did not do. The Holy Ghost did not call just a couple of random dudes that were sitting around in the church not really doing anything. That's what the Holy Ghost did not do. He called Barnabas and Saul, who were two among five listed prophets and teachers, already proven, already serving. That's who he called. Existing leaders serving in the structure of his body, the local church. So in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 16, it says, so the last shall be first and the first last, for many be called, but few chosen. Without a little bit of Bible study here and without a little bit of language study, you might miss the point when it says many be called. We frequently use that term many, thinking a lot of people, but not necessarily all of them. But that's really not the meaning of the word, just a a very cursory study of the etymology of the word many. The word many in the English language literally comes from a Latin root that means in the definite, the many. Or it could be translated exactly correctly, the multitude. In other words, all. That's literally what it means. Many are called, all, the multitude are called, all are called, but yet only few are chosen. Because, once again, God's calling everyone to respond. But he's only going to choose to use those that will respond, that will obey, that will prepare themselves. So we're in the season where fairly soon we're going to have the Winter Olympics. And and let's just say that one of the trainers for the U.S. Winter Olympics in a particular sport came in this room and he casted an invitation out to everybody and he said, I want to invite all of you to participate in the next set of Winter Olympics that'll be coming in 2022. I'm going to invite all of you to participate. And I'm going to come back in two years and choose the ones that are ready. You know who he's going to choose? Those of you that got busy preparing and training and practicing whatever that sport is, that's who you'd choose. That's who he'd choose. And that's the way the Lord works. Listen, if you're serious about the things we just sang, if you're serious about the things that you say, if you truly believe and want to put into practice in your life the things that you say you believe when you study the Bible, if you want God to choose you, 
If you want God to use you, you're going to need to pass some tests and to prove yourself. Because we know this is true in every area, every other area of life. Why would we not expect it in the area of service to the Lord? You have to be trained to do a particular work. Amen? Amen. So that is our theme. To be proven or are we just going to be passive? So there's three areas of proving that we're going to look at. And the first area of proving is you need to prove your understanding of Scripture. Listen, it's ludicrous to think that the holy God of the universe would call anyone to a lifetime of vocational representation of himself who does not first already understand his revealed will and has not taken the time to bother to put it into practice in his life. That's as ridiculous as, as imagine hiring a lawyer to represent you who never read the case and never asked you what your will was in this situation. Uh, imagine an ambassador for a country who goes to represent that country who never read the Constitution and has no idea the will of the president of that country. God is looking for people to understand his will, his plan, his desire on the multitude of subjects that the Scripture cover. You need to prove yourself in your understanding of the Scripture. And so we have 2 Timothy 2.15, study. If your Bible says study, you have the right Bible. To show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Some well-trodden ground. And so you will study to show yourself approved, not to me, not to anybody else. You study to show yourself approved unto God, who, oh yeah, by the way, wrote the book and pretty much knows how it's supposed to be. Well, let's just say he knows how it's supposed to be. So your approval from God for vocational ministry requires study, it requires work, and it requires discernment. You're going to need to study. So those of you who are near my generation, if it's been a while since the last time you were in school, when, when we say study, think back to school, think back to college, think back to when you had to study a subject and you would spend hours upon hours with many books spread on the table and cross-referencing and comparing and memorizing and researching and writing and spending multiplied hours. You cannot fulfill the obligation of study simply by coming to church, even faithfully, and paying attention and being sincere. Those are valuable things, but that is not study. Study is work. That's why he says a workman. So it's going to require study, it's going to require work, and it's going to require some discernment because you have to learn how to rightly divide, which means it's possible to wrongly divide, which means you are able to discern some things in the scriptures so that although the Bible does mention some times in history where God was very miraculous in nature, and although there are some times in scripture where God uses some symbolism and language in ways that are are not as normal to our context, we do the study, we can discern, we know the times, we know where they fit in context. We need God's wisdom. The Bible in Galatians chapter 1 calls this world, this present evil world. And we're going to get caught up in the whirlwind if we don't understand, if we don't do the work necessary. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 12 says, and further by these my son be admonished. Of making many books there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. And many people won't do it. Because it's work. It is work. Can I tell you, in our context, LFBI, if there's anybody watching, maybe even online, if anybody's watching and they don't know what LFBI is, the Living Faith Bible Institute, it is our cooperative effort at an in-house institute of study of the Scriptures. 
That is a special opportunity, y'all. That is something that you need to be taking advantage of. In fact, I want you to know this about that. At LFBI, no one is going to steal your Bible and no one is going to steal your money. Now, some guys are giggling a little bit because some guys already understand what that really means. I'm not just saying if you come to the Bible Institute class and you accidentally leave your Bible on the table, you can come back and still find it there. I'm not talking about that. And I'm not talking about if you come to a class and accidentally leave your wallet on a table, you'll come back and find it again, which hopefully you would. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that I have met many, it's sad how many people that grew up in Bible-believing churches, that went away to a Bible college or a seminary believing the words of God that they held in their hand all their lives and graduated from that school doubting everything they were ever taught. And oh, by the way, had to spend multiple tens of thousands of dollars for that to happen. They stole their Bible and they stole their money doing it. This sermon is not just a pitch for the Bible Institute that we use. I'm just telling you, God is going to require some preparation. God requires some testing. If you're serious about this mission, if the peoples deserve to hear, if God is worthy to be proclaimed to all peoples, and he wasn't lying when he gave us the Great Commission, he requires some things of us. We understand our responsibility. It's time to get busy, and you must prove yourself in your understanding of the scriptures. The Living Faith Bible Institute is good. Why? Not just because of those things I said. Understand, the theology, y'all, is right. And I'm not afraid to say it out loud. A lot of people over a lot of years have lived their life, it tried and tested through years of experience, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Over the time of your journey with the Lord, you'll make mistakes, you'll understand things wrongly, and the Lord will adjust your path and adjust your path, but if you are continually following Him, there comes a time where there's really no more adjustment because you pretty much got it. You know it right. That's what's offered to you. And I would add, together with that, a valuable resource that it is, is that the classes that are taught are taught by not professors, but practitioners. They're taught by men who have practiced and understand and serve daily in the work of the Lord as pastors and missionaries. They understand what it takes. Do you understand the principle of the Word of God that there are just some things? Jesus with his disciples, I think it's John 16, where he basically says, I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. In other words, the idea is there's some things you'll never learn until you need to know them. That's why you keep going back to the Bible and God keeps showing you new things because you're in new places in your heart and your life and your walk in your ministry that you need to give to other people. And if you're not involved in that kind of ministry, there's things you'll never learn. You want to learn from practitioners. I graduated from a secular university with a degree in mechanical engineering and one, only one professor that I had actually served as an engineer in the profession in his life. Everybody else was just a professional educator. And frequently Bible colleges are no different. People study education and they spend their whole life just educating and they never actually live out doing the things that they're teaching you to do. You ought to really wonder about that. So to prove yourself, you can't be lazy or passive. Learn your theology now. Why must you learn your theology now? Well, there's a lot of reasons. One, you're never going to have more time than you have now. I promise you that. I'm speaking in the context of somebody who one day will be ordained and sent out to start a new work in a new location, whether that be nationally or internationally. When that day comes and you find yourself relocated, you know what? Life is going to be a whole lot more confusing than it is now. Uh, you're not going to have a large group of people like you do today that agree with you. 
Most of the people you'll run into will disagree with you and you will be challenged. You better know what you believe on the front end. I like the little phrase, you tune the instruments before the concert. Your new vocation as the man of God leading a new effort in a new location, that's the concert. You need to tune up the instruments ahead of time. You need to be prepared for that ahead of time. As a new church planter, you're going to be a person who is maybe the only guy in the area who's going to need to answer the questions of your new converts, who, by the way, after believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ with you, are going to be out in the town talking to everybody else who ever thought they said anything about Jesus, and they're going to be getting a whole lot of weird ideas from a whole lot of strange teachers. And they're going to come back to you with their sincere questions, and you need to be able to answer them. I know this is going to sound weird to some of you, but this is actually true. The guys who have experience in missions know this is true. Other expat missionaries, if you become a foreign missionary are going to, who live in that country, other expat missionaries are going to come and seek you out. They're going to find you, and they're going to argue with you about what you believe. You think to yourself, oh my goodness, I didn't come here to argue with you. I came to win the nationals to the Lord. Why are you here? (laughs) They will do that. They will do that. Do you realize that when you get started somewhere else, you likely will be the first and maybe only available disciple maker? You are going to be the Bible answer man. That's going to be your job. And you need to ask yourself this question. How far are you going to be able to train the people that God allows to follow you? Is there a limit? Or are you going to continually, we're always studying, we're always growing, of course, but your basic theological foundation must be set and you must be proven in this area. There'll be pressure in doctrinal issues. We talk about the issues of the Bible translation. I grew up in a church in Decatur, Alabama that believes the same things we believe today and and the church is large enough and we just love God, loved our Bible, yahoo! And I was never challenged to defend what I came to love and believe until my address was in the country of Albania. (laughs) And other missionaries and other people found out my background, found out what I believed, which by the way, we didn't use an English Bible in that country. I mean, it doesn't even matter. And they fought and argued with me. Missionaries from the British Isles, Brits found me and argued with me about how foolish it is that I would use, oh, by the way, a British Bible. I was appalled. I never fought over that issue theologically more than when I left this country, and we didn't even use an English Bible. Yes, it happens. Uh, You're in a foreign country, you're starting a new ministry, and people will come, these missiological experts, And they're going to want to argue with you about bringing in your importing your American culture into these churches. We need to allow these individuals to just express their love for God in their own way. And that is fine. But I'm sorry, the Lord did call me to come here and I am American and I have a Bible and I'm just going to teach them what I know. And and argument after fight after quarrel and these things that are going to come upon you. You're going to start a church. Are you going to have a written membership where people sign a covenant or not? Can you show me a Bible verse where it says that? Why do you do that? Do you know why you do that? Should we do that? Shouldn't we even do that? There's always going to be issues of Calvinism and Reformed theology. I guarantee, I don't care where you go on this planet. Wherever you go, there's already translated in that language volumes and volumes of books on Reformed theology. If there are Christian bookstores where you go, they have those books, I promise you that. There was a missionary that came to Albania and began his work working with us and he was sent out originally from a very prominent church in Southern California where the pastor who's well known if I said his name is a Calvinist and and he joined us for a little while and then he went on his own and, and, and did a lot of harm trying to steal a lot of our sheep to take the people we won to the Lord and we were discipling to teach them the way of God more perfectly by putting books in their hands about Calvinism. 
And one of the main disciples that I was working with and a young man who was young and growing but, but just thought, you know, that I was the coolest dude ever. I mean, he just really liked me and thought I was awesome, which probably isn't healthy, by the way. <laughs> Read one book and all of a sudden I'm an idiot and he knows everything over that issue. Are you going to be capable and ready to defend those things? Because really, if you're going to be serious and you're going to be used by God and we're going to spread ourselves out all over this world, well, we need to be ready for these things. You need to be ready for charismatic issues and superstition, which is rampant everywhere. You need to be aware and ready to answer for issues of cooperation with other Christian groups as it slides in towards the ecumenical. There's pressures of just good old-fashioned loneliness. You may be the only one that believes and teaches the things that you do. I said one-on-one discipleship starts slowly. One of the biggest challenges for me when I began our ministry in Albania was the fact that I didn't really have any friends. All the people I was leading to the Lord were like my kids in the faith, and I didn't have a peer. Listen. You, you have to consider these things. What are you going to do, young missionary, when the honeymoon and the glory of the send-off is over and it's just you and your wife and a country full of people that stare at you a lot? When they take advantage of you at every turn and they've perfected the art of ripping you off for every item you purchase. You may not have any real friends yet. You miss your friends at home and the church fellowship terribly. You desperately long for some adult Christian interaction or conversation and lo and behold, the only person who even comes close to meeting that need is that really nice charismatic pastor across town. He's really nice to me. Or a Calvinist or a Catholic, pick your poison. So you make your friends and you go out for dinner together and over time he... It's a nice guy, man. He invites you to join him in a citywide joint Christmas program, and we're going to show unity to the non-Christian community, and you think, well, that can't hurt. And the next thing you know, you're developing a joint choir, and we're all going to put on a citywide Easter service, and you think, well, I mean, that's okay. And before you know it, they're asking you to take a position on the board of the local chapter of the National Council of Christian Churches, and... Maybe you even feel honored until you show up there and the guy leading the meeting is a Catholic priest. See, the Bible says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. All of that awaits you, not to mention real cultural issues. Life is new to you. Things that you'll need to judge rightly and help the believers there navigate. There's issues and customs associated with burial, cremation, marriage customs, living together, career issues, wives working outside the home, obeying parents, atheist parents who forbid their children to come to church or worship God or read the Bible. The Bible says obey your parents, but you got to obey the Lord. How are you going to walk them through that? They have specific dating practices. They have work ethics. What if their employers require them to lie, to falsify records, but it's the only possible job that they could have to put bread on the table for their wife and children? How are you going to help these poor people navigate these kinds of issues if you don't really understand and have proven yourself in a comprehensive, discerned understanding of the Scriptures? You'll get so many areas of application that you never mentioned. That's why you have to have completed your training now before being chosen to go and represent Jesus Christ as his ambassador in that country. Oh, by the way, all the while spending large blocks of time learning the language, learning the culture and daily life. Paying bills, waiting in line, shopping, getting ripped off, getting proper documentations, getting your car tags, getting inspections, getting residence permits. Daily life just takes a lot longer and you won't have time to figure out your theology. 
This isn't in your notes, but I want to add 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Remember Paul's scenario of his life and experience? He kind of is our example, right? 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 23, this is the list you'll recognize if you want to just listen. Paul says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in, pres- in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, who's ready to sign up, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended? and I burn not. That's Paul's version of the list I just gave you. Mine certainly was much lighter. Now is the time to prepare theologically, y'all. Now is the time. Do the work to make yourself, prove yourself usable so that God who calls everyone will choose you. He will choose you. Luke 12, 47, and that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. I know what you're thinking because I used to think it too. What if the Lord returns while I'm preparing? I spend all these years preparing. The Lord's return is soon. I know it is. I've heard you talk about it. What if the Lord returns while I'm preparing and I never get the chance to go out and to do something significant? Well, can I just say, that's a little above your pay grade, isn't it? That's kind of not your business when God says time's over. But just to encourage your heart, can I, can I encourage you with this? Why don't you just do what you're supposed to do and leave that up to God? Why don't you just do what you're supposed to? I mean, what if God, he is a good God. What if God, who knows the end from the beginning, rewards you as if you did have the time to do what you were planning to do, and he cut the time short? You ever think of that? I didn't put this in your notes either, but I am reminded of Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. He's not unrighteousness. He's not unrighteous. And can I say to you, friends, who strive for this kind of a life, and I hope you all strive for it. When you prove yourself, there will be a day like we will see tomorrow evening that there will be a day of biblical ordination, when there will be the laying on of hands of the presbytery and sanctioning you officially, prepared to be sent out for whatever it is the Lord would have for you. Do you know that your biblical ordination when you receive it is based upon your acknowledgement in your statement of faith. You are declaring that you will not change. So at some point in your life, if you would find yourself like so many sadly do, ditching the final authority of God's word, changing your view of soteriology, or allowing false doctrines into your pulpit, those things are treasonous to your ordination. So you prove your understanding of Scripture. The second point, you prove your understanding of service. While many things we do are preparation for the ministry, this is preparation in the ministry. Leaders must first be proven. Those who think that God's call is mystical tend to also think that suitability for the mission is too. 
There's no magic fairy dust. There's no extra chromosome. You just got to do the work. And you cannot deny the fact that proving yourself is a biblical principle. Let's take a look. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. So generally speaking, it is the will of God that we just prove everything. Put it to the test, right? But specifically, including you, it says in 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. So generally speaking, we should be doing this. I remember back in the days of the Cold War, our president then, Ronald Reagan, made this statement. He said, trust and verify. <laughs> you know what? There's something to that. You meet a lot of people down the road that say a lot of good things. They say they're good guys. They say that they're prepared. They say that they're ready. Well, you should be able to prove it. And God says it over and over again, Galatians 6, 4, but let every man prove his own work and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. How many people rejoice in the work of God that somebody else is doing? Well, that's fine, but can we rejoice in the work that he's doing in me? 2 Corinthians 8, 22, and we have sent with them our brother whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in use. 1 Timothy 3.10, and let these also first be proved, and then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. So a deacon should first be proved. Regarding bishops, 1 Timothy 3.6, should not be a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Why is it that God emphasizes this thing so much? Well, because vocational ministry is hard, y'all. It is hard. Let me just tell you, if you're just looking for a way to provide for your family, there's a lot easier ways to make some money. Um, let me clarify. Vocational ministry is hard if you care. If you care. Some don't. If you don't really care... <laughs> Well, I don't know who's hiring you, but if you can get that gig, it's probably easy. I don't know. No, if you care about people, and man, you know, we're all needy. We're all broken. We all have problems. We all need somebody to cry and love and share and help and build and lift up and encourage and pray. And man, that's a never-ending thing. Vocational ministry is hard. Doing it in a foreign country is even harder. I would argue that the job, the vocation of a foreign missionary arguably is the most difficult profession ever. You have a new job, a new description, you have a new environment, you're moving, there's new people, new culture, new mindset, new language. These are all triggers on the insurance company curve for high stress. That's what they are. That's why we need to send our very best to do it. That's why we need to send people who have already proven themselves capable and gifted and fruitful right here to be able to take on the challenge and go do it somewhere else. We can't just send people from a group of volunteers. The work is just too important. I mean, it's crazy. Nobody would want their medical professional to skip their training and their internship and their residency just because they believe that they have a special gift that God can use them. I don't want to go to that doctor. You don't want that of your lawyer, your mechanic, your school teacher. Is your job not infinitely more important? Therefore, your training should be commensurately challenging. Your training must include a rigorous academic load and an apprenticeship under the supervision of your pastors. Medical doctors do a residency. Soldiers do field training. School teachers do student teaching. And even craftsmen, tradesmen do an apprenticeship. Think about it. Your job is to effectively communicate the most important message of all time. 
And so academically, you have to have mastered your subject so you know what you're talking about. But you need an internship because you need to have real experience with people. And yes, it doesn't matter about culture and location and and income levels and and benefits and, and all the different ways that cultures vary because in the core, people are people. Yet to get yourself ready to be able to understand their context, that's a lot harder. You better understand the general principles of ministry to people in your own context so that hopefully God gives you the wisdom to apply it in a new context. So it should not surprise us when Jesus Christ gave gifts to the church in Ephesians 4 and verse 11. Among the list that he gave, the last says, pastors and teachers. I believe that the two are one. I think both need to function together One of the reasons why I love our Bible Institute, because your teachers are pastors and your pastors are teachers. I love the way Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 4, 15, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, well, there's your academic training. Anybody can be an instructor. Anybody can just teach you a subject, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. There's the apprenticeship. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who's my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul says, I'm going to teach you how to follow me, and I'm not even going to be there. Because I've already taught Timothy how to follow me. And if you follow Timothy, it's like following me because we're all following the same path. So you need to have a time in your academic training and you need to have a time practicing it in ministry, in service. Absolutely. You know what your pastors are going to do? They're going to monitor your growth through all the different various stages of growth. They're watching you. They're seeing how you handle adversity. They're watching to see how you will lead others through difficult times. They want to see if you will remain faithful to the Word of God when maybe your friends that you grew up with decide they don't want to be faithful to the Word of God anymore. They want to see that you will remain faithful and loyal to the bride of Christ, His church. There will be tests, and that's what they're looking for. Spoken of David in Psalm 78 and verse 72. I love this. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. So don't mix those two up. Because if you want to be an effective leader of men and a leader in ministry, you feed with integrity and you lead with skill. You don't feed with skill. Anybody can learn to stand up and teach a lesson. You feed with integrity, meaning you're not lying, you're not misrepresenting, and it's actually a reflection of who you are. But leadership, leadership is a skill. It is a skill. And in order to obtain that skill, you have to be trained. You have to practice. You have to exercise. You have to learn. It is a learned skill. So, as a result, it makes sense, right, that your global ministry always starts at home. It always starts at home. Jesus Christ knew that. So when he calls out his disciples and sends them out for the first time in Matthew chapter 10, you go down to verses 5 and 6, and how does he send them out at the very beginning? These 12 Jesus sent forth, notice, and commanded them saying, go not into the way of the Gentiles. 
wait a minute, I thought we're supposed to go to all the world. Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any, of the, any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Man, I'm confused. I thought we're supposed to go to the whole world. Yeah, he knew that his disciples, this is their first test, their first real ministry time to go out on their own. Up until now, they've just been following him around and watching him do it. So this is the beginning of the handing off of the baton. He's beginning to give them responsibility. Where does Jesus send them first? He sends them to the homeboys. He sends them to the people where they already understand the language and the peoples and the cultures and the problems and the issues of their life. He doesn't just cast them out to the Samaritans or to the far-reaching Gentiles. That, was, that would be too much. They had to start at home to prove themselves in their ministry service. And when they did, over time, eventually he gave them the full commission to go to the ends of the earth. He knew that's how you had to start. It's the easier first step. They were proving themselves in personal ministry. And can I just tell you, that happens, your proving happens whenever it happens. You can't rush it. Young adults are, are, uh, pick my favorite adjective here, Um, a lot of fun. It's a good way to start. Sometimes irritating. I know I was one. Okay, it's a, young adults are, who love the Lord are exciting. They're, they're dreamers. They, they think big and they want to run and it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. They're growing in strength and they want to conquer the world and, and they think they're ready and I want to go now and, and they say, okay, 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 I'm going to do the Bible Institute. Okay, it's going to take me four years. Okay, but I'm going to tell you on the fourth year and the second day, I'm out, right? And you say, well, I don't know, we'll see. And some of them get mad and they'll be like, well, you're not going to promise I'm out. Well, I'll say, no, well, when you're ready, you're ready. And I promise I am not here to hold you back. I'm here to help launch you out. But the proving is on your side of the court. When the proving is ready, we'll recognize it. And you have to recognize it as well. So as they say, enjoy the journey. It takes as long as it takes. That's how long it takes. You're not going anywhere until it's proven. It would be irresponsible of your pastors who care about you and the work of the Lord too much to let you go out unprepared and potentially do irreparable damage to yourself, to your family, and most of all, to the name of Jesus Christ. So you will prove your understanding of service or ministry as well as the scriptures. And lastly, you need to prove your understanding of submission. The idea is this. You can't effectively lead until you really know how to follow. All of life, I mean, this is so simple. You've got to get this. All of life is a test. And God is watching. You can say it this way. Whatever challenge it is you're facing today, I like to say it encourages me this way, is just another opportunity to trust the Lord. God promises he will never put more on you than he knows you can handle. And you may be in a place in your life where you're thinking, I think the Lord got that wrong because I promise you I am in over my head. I cannot handle what's going on. No, according to the authority of the Word of God, if you are facing it, whether you think so or not, God has deemed you able to handle it. Otherwise, he would not have put it on you, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So stand. All of life is a test. And God is watching to see how far you will go. Similarly, or conversely, The devil also wants to know what your sellout point is. Do you have one? The right answer is no. Because if you do, 
whatever it is, name your price. If you have a price by which you will sell out your faithfulness to the Lord and his word and his church and his work, the devil will make sure you get it. And some of the evil thoughts in the backs of some of your minds right now may be thinking, that's how I can get that thing. That thought is of the devil. Because if you have a price by which you will sell out the ministry, don't be surprised if that thing is dangled right in front of you. It might be money, it might be a relationship, it might be position, it might be power, it might be fame. So beyond solid Bible knowledge, and y'all, really, anybody can get that. You can ask an unsaved professor at Harvard. Beyond faithful service, because really, anybody can do that too if they're willing to work. They're not lazy. The single most significant issue in your life that needs to be tested is your submission to, here's the key word, human authority. You have to be proven in your submission to human authority. And there are only three that God has instituted. There's the family that has a structure and an order. There is a government that has a structure and an order. And there is the church that has the structure and an order. And if you can't submit yourself to these biblical, visible authorities in your life, don't kid yourself. You're not submissive to an invisible God who said in his word, he established those authorities. Yes, oh, our government is corrupt. It's so pagan. They've turned their back on the word of God. Yes, yeah, so honor the king. That's what Peter said. You think your situation is worse than Peter's back in that day in the Roman Empire? Honor the king, that's what he said. There's a structure in the family, you better follow the structure of the family. There's a structure in the local church, you better follow the structure of the local church. Yeah, but you don't know my pastor, I don't need to. I know what the Lord says. I never read the verse that says, follow the leadership that I have placed in your life, oh, when you agree with it. I didn't read that, did you read that? I think people read it because they seem to do that. This is a big test. This is the big one. This is your big test where God will tailor make for you the opportunity for frustration with your leadership as a test. There will be things that will come up that you are sure you have served faithfully and sincerely for years, and you are just sure that your leadership has lost their minds. <laughs> Can I tell you, we are not above sin. We are not above doing dumb things. If your leaders are in sin, go to them as a loving brother and talk to them about it if that's what you think. That's the biblical thing to do. But if it's not an issue of sin, and it's just an issue of preference, okay, now we're talking. Maybe you don't see what they see. Maybe you think they see it wrong. Well, again, I say, that's above your pay grade, friend. The question is, will you submit to the biblical structure, here's the key, when you don't agree with it? Because if you agree with it, is it really even submission? It only counts when you don't agree. That's the only time it's a test. If it's when you agree, well, there's no submission. It's like it was your idea. <laughs> I know that's the way we like it. That's not the test. That's not proving anything. That's just kind of getting what you want. <laughs> but if you'll submit to the structure when you don't agree, simply because you fear the Lord and you respect not only his authority structure, but you honor his bride. 
All of life is a test, and God is watching. And you're proving it ain't done until it's done. <laughs> Luke 16. Please hear this from the word of the Lord. Verse 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. See, that's a time of proving, right? And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Because now you're just showing your character. You're showing you who you really are, and the amount doesn't really matter. Verse 11. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful, here it is, in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? You can say that's a good business principle. You could say that that's a principle for a lot of different areas of life, but I'm here to tell you that's the principle of ministry. If you can't show yourself faithful in the ministry that's directed by another man, I follow no man. Well, you have a problem with the Lord then because there's certain men he wants you to follow. If you can't prove you're faithful in that which is another man's, I don't know who might sign off on you getting your own, but it's not the Lord. It's not the Lord. Submission to human authority that is God-ordained and placed in your life I know, I know, I know it's a challenge. It, it was a challenge for me. God had to beat me down. He's going to have to beat you down. We all have the same flesh. But please, y'all, hear me wanting to love you. Quit thinking that you're just misunderstood and that you need to just leave your church and join someone else's so that they can recognize your greatness. Please stop that. We're going to talk more about this tomorrow night. But you know what? If you're not serious enough to put in the work to prepare for a lifetime of ministry, why are you still expecting God to give you some miraculous vocational call? You know, we started this evening with the question, what will your specific role be? And my last sentence for you in the notes is, your vocational call will be in line with your training, your gifting, and your experience. What will your specific call be? Remember yesterday we talked about how the general call is nothing more than an invitation and the specific vocational call is nothing more than an, a unique opportunity. The opportunity that will match your training, that will match your spiritual gifting and your proving, your experience having served in ministry. You've developed experience and skillfulness and fruitfulness and demonstrated gifts and proven yourself in these three areas. And an opportunity presents itself for you to just continue to do what you have been proven to do, maybe now in a new location. These things that I'm sharing with you really are not hard to understand. They are simple to understand. Most of you probably understood them before you came here tonight. But man, I've been doing this a long time. Understanding them is one thing. Doing them is a whole nother. Doing them is a whole nother. And man, that's what we want to do. We want to see an army of people that really mean it and will do the work necessary so Peter says in 2 Peter 1 and verse number 10, give diligence, that's something you do, to make your calling and election sure. Because your calling is based on God's word, period. Go, get busy. And your election, God choosing to use you, is based on your obedience to the call. You're proving so don't just sit around on your blessed assurance waiting for the lightning to fall from heaven and strike you into spiritual maturity. Eternal life, thank God, is a gift. But spiritual maturity is not. You've got to work for that. And I think some of you tonight, 
need to decide, finally, I'm going to get busy and I'm going to get all in. I'm going to do the work and I'm going to prepare and I'm going to position myself so that should God decide, he can choose me because many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves when we recognize you truly have made things very simple for us. It's really just up to us whether we'll humble ourselves enough to just surrender at all, put aside all the things that have hindered us from just being all in and doing the work necessary. We understand how you desire to work in us. And Lord, I pray right now for every man and woman, young and old, to just consider their own selves and to prove their own selves in the scriptures, in service, in submission, joyfully continuing to walk, looking for that opportunity so that we can know that we are doing exactly as you will in our lives. Lord, change us. Raise up an army before it's too late. We desire your glory and we desire fruit in eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.